So let's go back to Psalm 1. Because as you know, I sure didn't get to finish today. And there's a lot of good nuggets here. Okay? Psalm 1. The blessed man. Somebody say, the blessed man. The Word of God says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So in verse 1, we see the blessed man's path. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Okay. In the next, next uh, verse 2, we see his pleasure, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And then verse 3, we see his prosperity. Somebody say his path, his pleasure, his prosperity. Say it again, his path, his pleasure, and his prosperity. Now this morning we talked about uh, what that word path, I mean what that word blessed means. And uh, the word blessed, uh, you know, blessed is the man that uh, is, uh, could be translated happy, happy is the man that, or all oh, the happiness is of the man. So that word blessed is not in the singular, that word blessed is in the plural. So happy, happy is the man, or all oh, the happiness is of the man. As we said this morning, you know, Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world because we're the most blessed people in the world, right? So we talked about that a little bit. and uh, But I, I want you to see something else here. Um, we talked about walking in the counsel of the ungodly, and, uh, and, and uh, we expounded upon that a little bit. But I want you to notice something else here in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So notice something. First, the un ungodly man just begins by walking. Then you see him standing. And then you see him sitting. So what do we see here? We see a downward progression. First, he's simply just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. But next, he stops walking, and now he's just simply standing in the way of sinners. But that's not where he stops. He goes from there to where he's seated in the seat of the scornful. So he begins simply by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Following their advice. Following their counsel. But then you see him standing on his own two feet. Standing to where now he's not just walking in their advice. Now it becomes his advice. And then from there you see him sitting in the seat of the scornful. So what do you see here? You're seeing a downward progression because sin will take you further 
than you want to go. Sin has as its ultimate goal simply to take you down. And you even see a maturity of sin. You know, in, you know, in, in spiritual growth, in spiritual maturity, you have, you have baby, child, young man, and father. Baby, first, uh, Corinthians chapter three, I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You see child, young man, and father in 1 John chapter 2. So those are the four stages of spiritual development. You see the four stages in natural development. Baby, child, young man, and father. Did you know that sin has stages of development? Because walking speaks of energy. Walking speaks of youth. Walking speaks of vitality. But then standing speaks of adulthood. You're standing on your own two feet. Are you with me? And then seating, being seated, speaks of old age, where you've already done all your walking. You've already done all your standing. You're ready to sit for a little bit. And so even sin has progression of, of to where sin becomes more and more and more ingrained in you. To where, to where at the beginning, you were just simply following the advice of the ungodly. They made a suggestion. You just began to follow in that advice. But because you didn't turn and go back God's way, you just kept walking behind them, following them. And then below, but before long, it wasn't that you're just following their advice. Now, you're given the same advice. You're standing in that thing now. But then from there, you go from there to where now you, you, you still didn't turn back and go to God. Now you're seated in the seat of the scornful to where you just began following advice, but now when sin was done, now you're scorning anything that has to do with God. You're scornful of church. You're scornful of preachers. You're scornful of the Word of God. You're scornful of uh, the gifts of the Spirit. You're scornful of all of these different things that pertain unto God, righteousness and holiness. So that tells you there that sin will take you down. It's a downward progression, and that's the ultimate goal of sin. Sin's purpose is to completely humiliate you. And so the, the sooner that we understand that, the sooner we can understand that that's not the path we need to go in. We need to turn around and go the other way. You look at the prodigal son. Here he thought that he had it all together. He got something that belonged to him too soon. You with me? He got something that belonged to him, his inheritance, but he got it too soon. He wasn't mature enough to handle it. That's what happens a lot with people in positions. That's why you don't put a novice in as a leader. That's why you don't put a novice in as an elder. I remember going to a church one time and this guy got up leading the service and I immediately could tell he was a novice. And so after church, I asked the pastor, who is that individual? And she told me, oh, he's one of my elders. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, how long has he been saved? She said, two months. He's already an elder? 
See, the Bible says not to put a novice into office. There's a reason. Lest they be lifted up with pride and fall into what? The snare of the devil. So sometimes we can get things too soon. If you get something too soon, either it can destroy you or you can destroy it. But you see this downward progression here of sin. And the prodigal son, he, uh, he got his inheritance. He went and he, lived, and he spent all that he had on riotous living. And then he wound up in the pig pen. Here is a Jew in a pig pen. But there in the pig pen, he understood and he remembered back at father's house. The goodness of his father is what led him to repentance. He remembered back. Here he would. He was, he was desiring even pig's food. The slop that pigs ate. But in, right in, that, in the middle of all of that, he remembered the goodness of his father. And he said, I know that in my daddy's house, they've got food and enough to spare. They're dressed better than this. They smell better than this. There's a lot of positive things going on in daddy's house. I need to get up from here and I need to go back to daddy's house. And so when he got back, he's, he was just content just to be a, uh, a servant. And so he didn't know really how he was going to be received when he went back. He's just good, good with being a servant. But when he showed up, his daddy was looking for him. And the Bible says that his daddy ran out to meet him. He kissed him on his cheek and put a, a new robe on him and put a, a ring on his finger, killed the, the fatted calf. They had, a, they had a, a great party and a great celebration. So before we move forward, I just want to close out on this point that when you follow the path of the wicked, it just leads you down, but God has a better plan for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. He's got a robe to put on your back. He's got a ring to put on your finger. He, he, he's got a party to throw on your behalf. So the last thing you want to do is follow the path of the wicked. You need to turn around, realize that sin just wants to take you down. Sin wants to hurt you. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin wants to humiliate you. But you need to arise from your pig pen, arise from the slop, turn around, remember daddy's house, and run back home. Can somebody say amen? Now, the path, the path. So now let's look at his pleasure. Somebody say his pleasure. It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. Somebody say delight. Now, the word delight here by Gesenius, the great lexicographer, says it originally meant this, to bend or incline toward. It includes the ideas of desire, Pleasure, inclination, and satisfaction. The Hebrew verb form of this noun is used several times of a man taking pleasure or finding delight in the woman that he loves. So that's the word that's used here. That his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, so delight, to bend, to incline toward. Includes the ideas of desire, pleasure, inclination, satisfaction. So in other words, it's, it's the very same verb form that's used of a man taking pleasure in the woman that he loves. So it's saying here that his delight is in the law of the Lord. So in other words, he has a love affair with the Word of God. He has a love affair with the Word of God. Now notice what it says, that his delight 
It's in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. How many of you remember when you met your, your, uh, your spouse? How many of you remember that? I remember my brother David uh, saw Melissa uh, a year before I did. He came home and he said, Jimmy, I met your wife tonight. He said, I know what you want. I know what you're looking for. You might as well go to Joplin, pack her up, and bring her, on, bring her home because I met your wife. Well, I carried a lot of weight with me because David's a mentor in my life. So, uh, so uh, I began to uh, talk to different people about her and to see what kind of girl she was, if she was a good girl or not, somebody I wanted to pursue. And everybody said she was a tremendous girl. Well, and then she was always in the Pentecostal Messenger magazine. So I was constantly looking in the magazine to see uh, what she was doing. In other words, I was stalking her. I was stalking her. But I met her a year later. And when I met her, uh, I was so shook up I couldn't even talk to her. You know, and that's something for me because I like to talk. I couldn't even say a word to her. And so uh, and in January of that same year, the Holy Ghost told her to go to her dorm room and begin to pray for her husband. Not for a husband, but pray for her husband. So she began to do that. Well, when she saw me for the first time, the Holy Ghost said, that's the guy. So here we were. You know, the Holy Ghost told her that the first time she laid eyes on me, that's your husband. And then David told me a year earlier, that's your wife. And so here we were both so shook up, we couldn't even hardly speak with each other. She was a keyboard player, I was a bass player, and I said, what key are you in? She said, D, and that was the extent of our con conversation. But my deal is this, I wanted to be around her all the time. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to spend time to her. When she would write me a letter, I didn't just read it once and throw it away, but I'd read it and read it over and over and over and over and over again. How many of you were like that? Men, you better raise your hand if your wife's sitting next to you. But why? Because you love them. And so that's what it's saying here, that the blessed man, the man who's happy, happy, is the man who has a love affair with God's Word. And he meditates in God's Word day and night. That means all the time he's constantly thinking about the Word. Just like you and I did with our spouse or, or, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, who, whoever they are, uh, you, you're constantly thinking about them. You're constantly wanting to spend time with them. You're, you're meditating upon them. Okay? Uh, you're, you're, meditation is like likened unto rumin, or rumination, where a cow would chew their cud and swallow it and bring it back. And they'd chew it some more and swallow it and bring it back. And they'd do that over and over and over and over again. And that's what you do when you meditate upon the Scripture. You're ruminating the Scripture. You're digesting the Scripture. How many of you have ever heard of that phrase, you are what you eat? Anybody ever heard of that? If that's true, then I am fast, cheap, and easy. <laughs> but you are what you eat. And so when you meditate upon the Word of God, what happens is you're ruminating, you're, you're mentally digesting the Word of God. And if you are what you eat, you see, then if you're eating the Word of God, it's becoming what? A part of you. Right? And so the blessed man, before we get into his characteristics, and that's why I'm trying to hurry through this, 
But before we even get into his characteristics, we got to understand, number one, he's characterized by what he does not do, but then he's characterized by what he does do. And what he does do is he has a love affair with the Word of God where he meditates upon the Word day and night. And when he does that, it leads us to what I want to emphasize here tonight. Now, let's look at verse 3. It says, and, conjunction, he shall what? He shall what? Be like a tree. How? Planted. So somebody say, the blessed man is happy, happy, because he's planted. Say it again. The blessed man is happy, happy, because first of all, he's planted. Now, notice this. You know, I saw that word planted, and I, you know, I just thought, well, just it makes sense. He's planted. But then I looked it up in the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word means to transplant. So think about that. So the blessed man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners, he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but he does have a love affair with the Word of God and he meditates upon the Word of God day and night. It says, number one, that and he shall be like a tree that is transplanted. Because you can look it up in the Strong's Dictionary if you want to. Look it up however you want to. But in the Hebrew, the word actually means to transplant. Now what happens when you transplant something? You take it from one environment and you do what? Is everybody awake tonight? You take it from one environment and you do what? You plant it in another environment. And so I want you to look with... Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Somebody say, the blessed man's happy, happy, because he's planted. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. It says, and you have he quickened, who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So notice here, before we were saved, we were in Adam. 
Before we were saved, we were dead in trespasses and sin. But God, somebody say, but God, who is rich in mercy, rich in infinite grace and mercy, dug us up out of Adam and he transplanted us. I wish I had somebody to help me right now. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And you hath he quickened. You see, a tree cannot transplant itself. You don't see a tree out there with a shovel transplanting itself to another environment. It takes an external force. It takes an external factor. It takes someone outside of the tree to go to the tree and dig it up out of its environment and pick it up and plant it in another environment. And that's what you see. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So God reached down and he dug you up out of Adam and he transplanted you into Christ Jesus. He dug you up out of the kingdom of darkness and he transplanted you into the kingdom of light. He dug you up out of cursing and he transplanted you into blessing. He dug you up out of slavery and he transplanted you into sonship. Is anybody glad that God reached down and took you from where you were and transplanted you into his dear son and has changed your life forever? So why... So why is the blessed man, why is this man so happy? Why is he happy, happy? Why is he experiencing the happinesses? All of these happinesses, all of these abundance of blessings. Because one day God reached down and did for him what he could not do for himself. God reached down and dug him up out of the mess that he was in, out of the shackles that he was in, out of the shambles that he was in, dug him up, picked him up, carried him over into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son, and dug a place and planted him so his roots could be deep in Christ Jesus. And that's why the man's happy. Because number one, He's planted. Somebody say, you got to get planted. You see all of these different people being blown about by every wind of doctrine. But God wants you to get planted somewhere. They get blown about by every wind of doctrine, like tumbleweed in Amarillo. You can be driving on the, on the highway and you see tumbleweed just, just rolling out there. Why? Because tumbleweed's not planted anywhere. Tumbleweed doesn't have its roots anywhere. So that's why with every puff of wind, the tumbleweed is rolling. Rolling from here, and rolling from here, and rolling from here to here. And then another puff of wind, and it's rolling from here to over here. 
then another puff of wind, now trolling from here to over here. And before long, it's just sporadic. It's nomadic. It's going from here to here to here to here to here. Why? Because it hasn't ever been planted anywhere to where its roots can get deep. So when the, the next wind of doctrine bl that blows by or the next wind of adversity that blows by does not shake them, does not move them from place to place because they're rooted. Mm -mm 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 -mm. They're rooted. And so you got to get somewhere. You got to get rooted. You got to get planted. You can't let, let just any wind of adversity move you out of your church. You can't just let any wind of adversity move you out of your marriage. You can't just let any wind of adversity move you out of your job. Sometime in life, you're just going to have to get planted somewhere so that way when the winds do come, because Matthew 7 says they will, they're not going to be moved about by every thing that happens in your life because you're rooted and you're grounded and where you need to be. So, somebody say we see he's planted. So what else do we see? Let's go back to verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted or transplanted. Where? By the rivers of water. So now we see he's happy, happy because he's positioned. Somebody say he's positioned. So first, what do we see? He's planted. But notice here that God just didn't plant him out in the middle of a desert somewhere. God didn't plant him in a barren place. God didn't plant him in a dry place. But it says that God transplanted him by the rivers. Come on, somebody. The rivers, plural, of water. Not by a river of water, but by the rivers, plural, of water. So they weren't just wildly growing but they were intentionally positioned somewhere by the rivers of water. Now, where was he positioned? By what? Rivers of what? The rivers of water. In the Bible, water is symbolic of kingdom blessing. Isaiah 35, 6. Isaiah 41, 18. Isaiah 41.20, Isaiah 44.3, and Jeremiah 31.9. So in the Bible, water is symbolic of kingdom blessing. And notice where this, this man has been uh, transplanted. He has been transplanted by the rivers of living water. In the original Hebrew, it says this, by the streams or divisions of waters. So God just didn't take this man who decides that he's not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, he's not going to stand in the way of sinners, he's not going to sit in the seat of the scornful, but he's going to have a love affair with God's Word so much that that's all he's thinking about day and night. 
He's partaking of it. He's meditating upon it. He's not just reading it. He's meditating upon it. And so it says the result of that is, number one, that he's transplanted out of a bad situation into a good situation. He's transplanted. And notice here that God doesn't transplant him into a dry place. God doesn't transplant him into a barren place. But God transplants him by the streams or divisions of water, and water is symbolic of kingdom blessing in the word of God. So what are you saying? I want you to know that God has transplanted him by the multiple streams of kingdom blessing. God just didn't plant him in a dry place, in a barren place, but he transplanted him into a place that, that is, that is uh, met by the streams, the multiple streams of kingdom blessing. He's transplanted uh, by the stream of spiritual blessing. He's transplanted by the stream of physical blessing. He's transplanted by the stream of financial blessing. He's transplanted by the stream of relational blessing. He's transplanted by the stream of emotional blessing. And I want to know if there's anybody in this house that's glad that God has positioned you by the streams of kingdom blessing. God's a good God. Somebody say God's a good God. Look at somebody else say God's a good God. Where he's transplanted this guy, this blessed man, by the stream. The multiple stream. God has many ways of blessing you. Many ways. By the divisions of waters. By the streams of waters. By the rivers of waters. So God puts you in a place to where you can experience multiple streams of blessing in your life. So when you say no to the world, and you say yes to God. And when you say yes to having a love affair with the Word of God, to where that's all you're thinking about, that's all you want in your life, understand what's happening is you're being transplanted from this place to a good place. A place that is surrounded by multiple divisions of kingdom blessings. Now, doesn't that make you want to read the Word? Doesn't that make you want to be a student of the Word? Doesn't it make you want to devour the Word? Doesn't it make you want to meditate upon the Word? Because remember, we talked earlier this morning about possessing our what? Possessions. So if we want to get to that place where we're surrounded by multiple streams of kingdom blessing, we got to position ourselves to be blessed. Somebody say you got to position yourself to be blessed. So the man's happy, happy. Why? Because he's positioned. What else do we see? Number three. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that does what? That bringeth forth his what? When? In his season. Notice that. It says that he bringeth forth his fruit in his season. What is the fruit of a Christian? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, what is it? 
Okay, that's one of them. Joy, peace, what's the other fruit? Okay, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So notice here, this man is happy, happy, because number one, he's productive. He brings forth his fruit, and to the Christian, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, he's bringing forth love, he's bringing forth joy, he's bringing forth peace, he's bringing forth long-suffering, he's bringing forth gentleness, he's bringing forth goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance in his season. So what does that mean in his season? What does that mean that he brings forth his fruit in his season? It's in the time that it should come. He brings forth his fruit in the time that it should come. Let me try this other side. He brings forth his fruit in the time that it should come. So when is that? He brings forth his fruit when it's needed. I said he brings forth his fruit when it's needed. So in other words, we see he's productive because he brings forth love when it's needed. He brings forth joy when it's needed. He brings forth peace when it's needed. So you think about joy. How in the world could Paul write the book of Philippians, a book that the key word is joy? The second key word to the book of Philippians is mind. So what you do with your mind will determine whether you're walking in joy. Now, you have to understand, okay, he wrote a book on joy and he talked about the mind. But until you understand, he was in prison when he wrote it. So we got a guy in prison writing a book about how to have joy. And the importance of your mind and what you're doing with your mind and what you're dwelling on, what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling on, and, 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 and how you're processing everything and the connection to that to joy. So you have a guy in prison on death row writing a book about joy. How could anybody in prison on death row write a book about joy? Because he's a blessed man. He's productive. He's a blessed man. He's productive. He's a man of the word. And the fruit of joy comes when he needed it. My God, when you need peace in your life, when you're a person of the word, 
all hell may be breaking loose in your life. The devil may be coming against you in every facet that you can even imagine. You may be facing every trial that you can even imagine. Every heartache, every pain, every suffering that you can imagine. But you can still have peace in the midst of that. You can still have joy in the midst of that when you are a person of the Word of God because what happens is you become productive and God brings forth the fruit that you need when you need it. My goodness. Somebody say, that's enough to make you happy, happy. Amen? Somebody say he's productive. Somebody say he's productive. And what else does it say? That he's perpetual. Notice what it says. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. His leaf also shall not wither. So it says that he's perpetual. So he's planted. He's positioned. He's productive. And he's perpetual. Now, pull up Jeremiah 17, brother. Verses 7 and 8. I want you to see something very interesting. You're going to see where Jeremiah parallels this passage of Scripture. Now let's look at it. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. It says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be what? Shall be what? As a tree what? Where? Does that look familiar? Does that look familiar? Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by what? The river and shall what? Shall not what? shall not see when heat come. How many of you have been feeling the heat? I said, how many of you have been feeling the heat? Shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be what? Green! And shall not be careful or anxious in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding what? Fruit. So do you see the parallel here of Jeremiah 17 with Psalm 1? So notice here, his leaves shall not wither due to heat exposure. It just says in Psalm 1, 3, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. But when you see the parallel of that in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, the reason why the leaf withers is because of heat exposure. So what it's saying is this, that he's perpetual, that he won't wither when he faces the heat of adversity. So is there anybody in here going through something? You're going through some adversity. You're going through some trouble. 
You're going through some pain. You're going through some hard times. You're going through some attacks. Well, I've got good gospel news for you tonight that no matter what you're going through, your leaf shall not wither. <laughs> it's going to remain green. Well, Brother Jimmy, I'm going through financial trouble. Well, I've come to tell you your leaf shall not wither. Well, Brother Jimmy, I'm going through relational trouble. I've come to tell you your leaf shall not wither. Brother Jimmy, I'm going through some, some spiritual battles in my life. I've come to let you know that your, leaf, that your leaf shall not wither. It does not matter the heat that you're under right now. It does not matter the heat of adversity that you are facing right now. I've come to share good gospel news with you to tell you no matter what you are going through, your leaf shall not wither it shall not because you're a blessed man you're blessed no wonder he's happy happy with happiness based on happenings exactly your happiness if your happiness is based upon happenings then when you talk about you being planted, you ought to be happy. You talk about you being positioned, you ought to be happy about it. You talk about you being productive, you ought to be happy about it. You talk about being perpetual, you ought to be happy about it. And the last thing we see is that he's not only planted, he's not only positioned, he's not only productive, he's not only perpetual, but he's prosperous. Now notice what it says, and we'll close. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Immediately I'm reminded of Joseph. It, dis, it didn't matter what his circumstances were. He prospered. It didn't matter. He prospered in the pit. Well, how did he prosper in the pit? Because he didn't let the pit get him. He didn't let the pit get him. He rose out of that pit. Because God had given him a dream. Some people fall in a pit and they just lay there and die. But he prospered in the pit because he didn't stay there. There was something in him that caused him to arise out of that pit. It's just like that old man had that old mule. Old mule, farm mule, friend of the family. Mule had been around for years and years and years. Daddy had the mule. Daddy passed. The mule's still around. Uncle worked with the mule. Uncle passed. The mule's still around. Well, now the son's got the mule. Now the mule's old. The mule can't do everything that it used to do. Now the mule's just barely getting around. And so he said, you know, I really need to put that old mule down. He said, but I don't want to shoot the mule. So what I'm going to do is just dig a, dig a big old hole. 
and I'm just going to put the mule in there and just cover it up with dirt. That sounds worse than shooting. But he did that. So he dug this huge hole, put the mule down there, and then he took a shovel of dirt, and then he threw it down there. And it hit the mule, and the mule did this. He got another shovel of dirt, threw it down there on the mule, and the mule did this. He got another shovel of dirt, and he threw it down there, and the mule did this. Got another. Before long, he put so much dirt in that hole that the mule just stepped out of the hole and started walking off because the mule decided he wasn't going to be buried in the pit, but he was going to get up and walk up out of that thing. And that's what you and I need to do whenever the devil tries to throw some dirt on us. What we need to do is just and start walking and get up out of that pit and start walking to into what God has for us. And that is exactly what Joseph did. He didn't die in the pit. He got up and walked up out of that pit. So he prospered there. He prospered at Potiphar's house. You know Potiphar's wife was fine, y'all. Y'all do know that. She wasn't this, she wasn't ugly now. Yes, she was fine, I'm sure. But here he said, baby, you can have my coat, but you can't have my character. Prospered. Potiphar's house. And then he went to prison. She lied on him. He prospered in the prison. And then from there, he went to the palace. And he prospered in the palace. There's something about a winner that it doesn't matter if they're in the pit, in Potiphar's house, the prison, or the palace. They're going to succeed no matter where they are. That's what a winner does. And you know why he prospered? Because the Bible said the Lord caused Joseph to prosper. The Lord did. Why? Because he was a blessing. He was a blessed man. And it says here that the blessed man is prosperous. Now, so the tree shall be like a tree. We're closing. Planted by the rivers of water. Brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So the tree's always healthy. It's extending its roots. It's increasing its woody fiber. It's circulating its nutritive juices. It's putting forth blossoms, leaves, and fruit in proper season. And the blessed man is like that. He's ever taking deeper root. He's increasing in heavenly desires. He's prospering. He's under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit, bearing much fruit to the glory and the praise of God. I call that true prosperity. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody say the way, say the truth, say the life. Say it again, the way, the truth, and the life. Go to Psalm 1. See verse 1. 
There's the way. You go to verse 2, you see the truth. And then you go to verse 3, you see the life. The way, the truth, and the life. So what is that telling us? That Jesus is the ultimate blessing. Jesus is the ultimate blessing. And when you know Jesus, He can bless you.